0: You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast
1: for players by players and all about strategy, leveling up and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 140 of Arsenal Pass. This week in the pod, Brendan lets loose on some hot takes. I sit on the fence yet again. And uh, the community tries to get us canceled with some spicy Christians, I've heard, Brendan.
0: I don't know. That's not what I, what I got from the question. So, yeah, we have a question, <laughs> sort of a mailbag episode, a question-based episode. We field the questions from the Arsenal Pass Discord as well as Twitter. I think we have some good ones here. And I don't think any of them are particularly too hot, to be honest. But maybe <sighs> it's just, maybe my palate is a bit more uh, adventurous than yours
1: boring (laughs) no no i I just um brendan curated the questions i had a a small read before but i like to be surprised you know i like to be surprised and delighted by the questions a little bit of prep is necessary but um there's some some great questions coming up in the pod this week but before that brendan this week in flesh and blood i mean we're in the true flesh and blood off season so i don't know what are you doing with your time are you you playing any flesh and blood are you i mean it is true off seasons what are you doing with your time
0: i'm not playing card games i mean like i said flesh and blood for 2024 is sort of a paradigm shift for me. Um, and I will be playing the game mostly for the competitive aspect and the team aspect and, you know, uh, tier four tournaments like that, that, that is my angle in my interaction with the game. Uh, and I don't want to burn myself out before I go through that process. Cause that process is inherently, uh, I don't know, intense, right? it, it, it will lead to burnout. So I'm, it's a welcome break. I know a lot of other people are taking breaks, but other people are, are enjoying... There was a battle harden. We'll talk about that. But other people enjoying playing battle hardens. They're playing skirmish or, or playing blitz. So um, I'm all for it. But in terms of me engaging with the game, I'm waiting for the uh, pro tour prep.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't play any flesh and blood this uh, this past week. I was I think I said on the pod last week, I really wanted to try and get to a skirmish for the last weekend. There was a, a team blitz event on at a local store near me which for, i there's a question coming up in the in the main topic of the pod so i don't want to spoil it that someone sort of alludes to the kind of change in living legend format but it sounded like the the weekend was quite interesting the final week of skirmish um, and i know james white threw out a tweet sort of talking about the change in living legend and what that meant for heroes evolving over the weeks of skirmish and um <clears throat> skirmish looks very different to to how it used to to be honest i'm invigorated to play these events more than ever before because of the, so I feel like one of the toughest things, if I'm going to go to a skirmish, right, Brendan, is I know nothing about the Blitz format because I haven't touched Blitz since the World Championship last year, last year. So I think I might have played one or two games of Blitz since then. So if I rock up, right, and I feel like I'm disadvantaged because everyone knows the Blitz format, but if there's a Living Legend check every Friday and the format's changed a lot, I feel like it's a bit more of an even playing field for me, you know? So I'm, I'm more interested personally in, in playing uh, Blitz events in the uh, coming weeks, months, et cetera, with, these, with this change. But we can talk more about that. But anyway, I heard people had some, had some um, good fun in the weekend. The team I was meant to be a part of, they ended up picking up uh, another player and they won the event. So I was like, Oof, you know, they, they upgraded from me and they managed to win the, win the team event, so. Nice. <laughs> I, I probably would have played some absolute jank and uh, taken them to the bottom of the table, so. Uh, should we talk news? Go for it. Well, I mean, to be fair, true flesh and blood off season not as much happening in the news there's a battle hardened hanover happening this weekend and last weekend was a battle hardened do you know much about this battle hardened? because i've been trying to find some information about this battle hardened on the lss website on twitter i i can't find much from the battle hardened the weekend i'd heard you messaged me and said oh kano won a battle hardened i was like did it i i I hadn't heard but
0: so Kano did win a Battle Hardened. Uh, I just want to get the player's name correctly.
1: So Where was the Battle Hardened? Which country was it in? Oh, I have no idea in regards to that.
0: <laughs> oh, I forgot to delete Twitter on my phone, so I can't do that. Well, Peter, Peter was doing like an interview with that person. Um wow, well, I just let people with a <laughs> I gave you all an insight into my <laughs> my mental health as in regards to social media as I delete and reinstall <laughs> apps. Um oh, I've yeah. got it here.
1: Go for Julian. it. Julian. Julian. Uh Orlando, so it was the Battle Harden Orlando. So it was, that's right. I, I did catch a little snippet of this, but I don't think LSS will put up an article. Obviously, by the time this pod drops, Brennan, you know Alice will have a full-fledged article on re- recapping the Battle Harden um, because we've now said that we don't have any information on it. But yeah, Julian won the Battle Harden on Kano. Um, I don't know what the kind of like top eight split was after the event, but um, yeah, I mean, congrats. Kano winning Battle Harden. Got to make you feel, feel good, Brennan.
0: Well, I mean, the funny thing is now like... At least from the small amount of Twitter that I have engaged with, uh, everybody's talking about Kano. Actually, it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. We have a question about Kano in our in our question section. That's your here. bubble, dude. But people are really <laughs> talking about it, and I even see people talking about like its design, its position in the game, etc. And it, it's just so funny how. A recency bias toward a couple results uh, just leads people to be like, oh, is this a problem? How? Like, is this this deck is good. I mean, this deck is real. I mean, the deck has been around for a long time. Um, I just think it wasn't as well positioned as it is right now. And people have to make actual choices if they want to include cards to tech against Kano, where before that was less the case as there was another wizard in the format. So the conditions have gotten better. The player base has gotten much better at playing Kano on the aggregate. Um, so we've coalesced into a situation where now Kano has, is, has taken down a Battle Harden. I know, I think Peter took a Battle Harden down with it. It did very well at the Living Legend format. I mean, it is just, it's it's still a niche deck, but it's not like, you don't have to be a part of some random, uh, some random, some weird cabal to play the deck, which is what it felt like before. It was just like these, like these, these yeah. sects of people that were Kano players, and everybody else, I don't know, just didn't play the deck or didn't know how the deck worked. And I just don't think that's the case anymore. It's just, it's sort of a, uh, I don't even know if I call it a tier, a B tier deck, but it is, it is a viable choice for these tournaments if you think it's a good meta pick. So, I mean, cool, cool place to be in Flesh and Blood.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I was thinking there was going to be some more Kano Cope, but actually I think you're, I mean, the Kano Cope started when you were like, oh, did well, in the Living Legion format. Was that when it was in one of the top eights? Of the uh, living it, it didn't format.
0: make top eight but it almost did and both both players like two players almost took it to a top eight there so i mean yeah okay. it's just interesting to see how the deck performs in different metas because it's a meta dependent deck so in the most overpowered format that exists in Flesh and blood it sort of held its own i know that on the surface it doesn't look like that because it was eight stars in the top eight but there were a lot of Kanos. I mean, when I say a lot, there was like two to three at the top tables to the very end when they got pushed out.
1: Yeah. And I know at Battle Hut in Orlando, I was just going back to, there was some messages in our group chat. I know there was two Kanos in the top eight, for instance. I know one was a little bit different, had like defense reactions in it, I think. And then um, Julian's who won was maybe a bit more uh, traditional. And then, because it also had like, I know like Azuri did well over Orlando this weekend as well. I think um, Guy uh, calling, uh, calling Dallas winner, right? on I was now on Azuri this weekend, which is, I'd love to know, know why he picked up Azuri actually in particular, but um yeah, I mean, a good a good weekend for Kano. And I think you're right, you said specifically about like the dichotomy of whether you, like if you now play Arcane Varia or if you play like Oasis Respite, like you're playing it spe- almost specifically for Kano now, right? It's not like you're playing it for, you don't even need to get the splash because like viscerai isn't really playable, Vinset isn't really showing up. So even just like the splash kind of, like people will show up with lists that have AB0 in it,
0: Yep, probably for sure. I mean, you have to make it. <laughs> it's probably
1: a- correct too, a lot of the time.
0: I, I mean, if you, people were playing cards to tech against Kano when it was absolutely not correct. Uh, when it was you know, less than 1% of the field, less than half a percent of the field, people were still teching for Kano. Yeah. But you do have to make an actual choice. Um, it's funny, Hayden, we had a comment on the last video Uh, in regards to kano versus iceland in the matchup and someone was saying that it irks them that i talk about icelander being a bad matchup because kano has a deterministic combo into icelander which is hilarious because like that whole conversation is just an absolute bell curve you start out thinking the matchup is bad (laughs) then you go to the top of the bell curve you're like deterministic combo can't lose and then you end up on the other end and it's like oh you can't win because they beat you in every single way um yeah. But I do think that Kane was in a better position with Icelander leaving the farm for multiple reasons. One, Icelander is a bad matchup. There is no deterministic combo. You can try to do it, but we'll see how that works. Um, and Arcane Barrier, Arcane Barrier is a choice, and that that's a big change in the classic instruction format as a whole. Is that you have to make real um, costly choices to put these cards in your deck, when that was not the case before. And you still can play shit like Sand Cover, you know, for free if you're playing Jermai, mm-hmm. But um, like, just fun, like just having that instance of arcane barrier is actually a choice now
1: yeah and because you know over here we're so good on the fly at investigative journalism and uh digging deep i have found the meta breakdown and the top eight from Battle Hard in orlando so we can just quickly reflect on the non-kano of course again just congratulations to, to julian taking it out on kano but um the top eight of well actually let's go let's go um meta breakdown first just a little bit of a meta update as we head towards christmas you know we've got another battle Hardened next weekend as well hanover but uh bravo was the most played so 106 players seven rounds at battle hardened orlando brennan uh bravo most played hero then azalea then dromai then azuri interestingly and then Leviathan and Rhino. So Rise of the Brutes at Orlando. Uh, and Brute did make an appearance in Top 8, I believe. It did not. It did not. So, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and then you've got, you go down to like Dash, IO, Fi, Kano, Dorinthia, et cetera. Um, what about Nom OG Dash. Um, yeah, like the five copies. So, you nice. know, like the 14th most played, which is really interesting to me when I look at, especially what did well at the top tables. But... Um, yeah, well, I mean, if, if Brutes highly represented it, and Azuri, and yeah, interesting. Top eight was uh, two Kanos, so Justin and um, Julian, the two Js on the Kanos. Uh, there was a one Azalea, there was two Dromies, there was two Azuris, and then Chris Martin of Coldplay on Dorinthia. Uh, it's great to see him out there. <laughs> I mean, it's a different Chris Martin, obviously, but make the joke you say obviously
0: uh, it's not obvious
1: um <laughs> so yeah interesting topic i mean what do you think about like azuri like two azuris in top eight. i mean obviously we saw azuri take out calling melbourne <laughs> um wasn't on people's bingo cards that weekend and you know like is it in a better spot now that iceland is gone like surely know. right
0: Azuri's the azuri is like my biggest um void when it comes to flesh and blood knowledge uh, around a hero it's like azuri is just the black box just the hero that i have have had virtually no interest in and has not been super relevant at the tournaments and i have both attended or casted um, yeah so it's just like i don't know i am not an azuri specialist i've not looked too much into the deck how it's adapted to the new metagame um etc so yeah i i don't know oh, who won the calling battle or melbourne by the way do you remember the name
1: um, yeah, that's, uh, Ben, Ben Dodd. So Ben
0: recommended a game in an article that he did. I don't know where he did it. Uh, I think Sam Dando did the article on Ben. Ben recommended yep. a game called Imposter Kings. It's a card game. Okay. Uh, it's a board, board game, card game. One of the best games I've ever played, actually. It's really, really good.
1: I saw you say that every two weeks. Nah, this one's good. This one's really Foster good. Imposter Kings. Is this the one on Steam?
0: No, no, no. It's a physical oh, card it's a, game.
1: it's a board game.
0: Okay. It's really, really, really good like it's and uh yeah ben swore by it so i bought it i don't think ben knows that i don't know if he listens to this but i bought it on his recommendation it was really really good so yeah,
1: shout out to shout out to ben dodd then yeah um all right should we move on to i guess you know what is kind of the Commander cookout and a whole topic because this is community questions answered burning questions brendan where do you want to start we've got so we've got some questions from twitter we've got some questions from discord uh shout out to everyone who submitted questions um we're gonna read majority of these questions had a lot come from our arsenal pass patreon discord and as well as um twitter where we put a question out on the arsenal pass official account if you aren't following us on twitter why not obviously Mm uh where do you want to start Brendan. all right so it comes from
0: discord uh Fett. they say after another starvo win at the at an ll tournament this one at the coaxing do you think lss should continue to let the format be as is or do you think they should make adjustments if so what adjustments should be made and there was a follow-up that said, should they just ban the hero? Hayden. Uh what are you wait? So is what is there any system in place for living legend format? It is just banned, right? They would have there is no like additional living legends. So if this hero just kept winning, it wouldn't rotate <laughs> itself out of the eternal format. That's kind of funny. I mean, they have to do something, right? Because the hero is blatantly overpowered. Uh like it's it's not it's not really a question. Is it it's not like oh the meta conditions weren't correct and you know the Starvos really got away with it this time. Like, no, the hero is actually just fundamentally overpowered. So they have to have some sort of change. I don't think they could just leave it like that, cause Starvo actually constricts the design of like every single hero that might come into Living Legend as well. Like Living Legend is not a living it's not a Living Legend format, it's an open format. Every everything mm. is legal. So Wow. What is not legal? Yeah.
1: No, 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 everything is legal. So <laughs> it's funny because just I just laugh because the prior weeks leading up to the world championships i was saying you know i was like well you know i might play the living legend event if i'm around on the sunday you know and i don't want to go do sightseeing or you know not in top eight obviously not in top eight um or day two of calling whatever it might be and i was like well there's only one clear like you just have to play Starvo. and people are like no you don't have to play Starvo. like fire! you have stubby hammers you have you're like lexi's been showing up in like some of these early living legend like events that people have been running you know off uh, like not official and things like this and i was like i just there's no world where you can't not play starvo like it has awakening like especially early on the format like it has just everything also um, late into
0: the format it still has everything i mean the hero yeah, of is actually overpowered it has been since its inception because it faces you with one of the worst dynamics that has ever existed in flesh and blood which is big ass damage plus a shitload of disruption what do you do like, it's like, oh, I'm, all, I'm hitting well, you. Well, there is ways to beat it. What's the best way to beat
1: it? Just absolutely kill them in one turn. Just combo
0: Yeah. I don't know how reliable that is. Viscerae, um, <laughs> baby. Yeah, Viscerae sucks in that format because Warmongers is literally everywhere. They also free roll Warmongers in Starvo. Like. Why
1: is Warmongers good against a Viscerae OTK, though? Uh, I guess not.
0: Um, I guess it's against regular, <laughs> So, Viserai got shit canned at the freaking li- Living Legend format. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't think people
1: actually played it though. I don't think many people played it. I, I saw
0: quite a few. I mean, I was walking around those tables pretty much yeah. all of that day. There was there was more than a few. Um, I think some people were off of it because of War Recital. But in terms of the combo, I mean, what viscerai combo deck is it? Because the class constructed viscerai combo deck that existed in the Starvo format, I thought was bad into Starvo. I thought people were hard coding. No, no
1: you're playing you're playing the um the the new card what's it called um the fantasia card. Fantasia. okay <laughs> yeah i mean that that's I a know, list that I, I i
0: don't have experience with but i'd be surprised um i mean i i, I should we would see it by now but, Re- yeah. regardless.
1: right regardless well i think a couple of people did play it at um worlds but there was a bunch of people not playing starvo and it felt like you either played Starvo or the dick that beats starvo but People played a bunch of other stuff as Let's well. That's the issue of so,
0: Prism, right? you know, Prism. Prism's like okay into Starvo, I guess. Uh like it, it, used, it used to be favorable. Um but your your Prism gets absolutely wrecked by most of the other decks that are in that format. Yeah.
1: And it might have been close to even maybe some people said it was favorable with Awakening gone, but definitely not when Awakening was Awaken- legal. Uh so I think it was e-
0: I actually think it was even with Awakening, but Awakening is, is Awakening is like so if they ban... Oh, let's get to the question. Should they ban something? Yes, they should ban Awakening, because Awakening is a toxic card. Because it allows the Starvo to play two game plans simultaneously, both which are completely polar opposite from each another. One is that they are falling behind in tempo, and then they have a card that immediately switches them back onto the aggressive foot, and actually incentivizes the opponent to like not ta- hit them, not hit them with damage, because they get so much value off of this random card. Um... I think that they should ban Awakening first and foremost. I think that could allow Dex to come back in the format. I don't know if it would be enough, but Awakening is the weirdest card that has been designed in Flesh and Blood, in my opinion, up until now.
1: Yeah, I know when the first the article was published first introducing LL as a as a format and saying that it would premiere at the World Championships, um, obviously it had been hinted at for a long time, been spoken about, it. James had always said that this is a format that was coming. And then when the article dropped, it was, Really made really clear that for the world championships in particular, this would be open, completely open. No, everything legal. This is the first time we're showcasing Living Legend. Now, ultimately, you know, of course, that resulted in a top eight f- that was eight Starbos, Starvo, of course, winning. Um, but it was made clear that the, the ban list could be used and potentially would be used. So I, I think, should they ban cards in Living Legend? Yes, it's just because it's an eternal format, like a true eternal format in terms of there's no rotation of heroes. Doesn't mean that we can't utilize the ban and I think that's what you've got to utilize, right? You have to utilize the ban list. And we've seen it in other games. You look at, you know, something like Magic, of course, Brendan, with a format like previously extended, uh, prior to what is now Pioneer and, and Modern, but of course legacy as well, vintage, like cards that are restricted yeah. or banned. Like in, you, in you, general. You do have to use it.
0: The more eternal the format, the, the longer banned the ban does. list.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um well let's Naturally. Answer, let's answer the last question. Should they just ban the hero? no, that's that's interesting. I, I don't think so. I guess because there's so much they could do. Outside what's of the point ban? of the format, then yeah, right well, i mean if the if the hero <laughs> text is actually that broken, then they might have to, but I think they could ban around it and suspend cards. so, um, I don't know if it would negate the integrity of the format if they banned Starvo, but it would be weird, and there's definitely a lot more they could do before that. And I don't think that Starvo, in and of itself, agnostic of all the other broken cards you're putting into that deck. Is so fundamentally powerful that it's just going to be mm. eight of the top eight every single time if you don't actually ban the hero. So, should they ban the hero? No. Uh, should they make adjustments? Absolutely. If they don't make adjustments, the format is like so boring. I want to ask a question though to the people listening. Anybody who was like who got this like Stockholm syndrome in the past couple of years and was like, oh, Starvo is good for the game. It was like it let people come in and do I'll well. Okay. How do you feel now if you play Living Legend? How do you feel about Starvo? You still enjoy it? You still think it's good for the game? Um, because I agree with you on the the design concept that bad players or new players or ignorant players should be able to have some sort of chance to win a game. But a hero that just negates so much of the game's design, um so much of skill expression, it's just not fun in my opinion. And I, I don't know. I was at the Living Legion format in the world cha- at the world Championships. And everybody who was playing that hero was just like, they were having fun, I guess, for the day, but they were they verbally expressed existential dread towards having to play that hero they did not It did not seem like they actually enjoyed it. they thought it was silly and dumb
1: yeah, but i mean, I, I will go back to the fact that i I truly believe that star Wars was was good for the game um but I will say I don't think cards like awakening are good for the game. I don't think like you pointed out, a card that allows you to simultaneously like get rewarded for playing in a negative fashion towards a game you know and get basically get bailed out is it's not a good place for a game to be i think um to basically have like oh i drew the card that like gets me out of the situation for free even regardless of how i played the game up to this point like that's that's not a good card design right so you're an
0: opposing fire what are you gonna do not attack me
1: yeah terrible no nah. it's rubbish <laughs> all right Maybe your your opponent gets the free free chance to attack you with their own hits while you try and hopefully kill them before they draw awakening. Yeah, brilliant. All
0: right, next one comes from Zachary. They say, "What's your position on the signature weapon system for Living Legend weapons?" I worry it does more harm than good, and LSS could just ban the problematic weapons uh, that stifle design. What are your thoughts on this? Cause this is a weird system, right? This is this. We've had multiple heroes of Living Legend where we're like, "Oh no, Waning Moon's gone." It's like, "Oh yeah, that was actually Kraken's." <laughs> it's like, it's I've we've had good things rotate out, I guess in like Rosetta Thorn, which was just mm. overwhelmingly the best weapon, but it does feel like you have this system in the form of Living Legend that is self-rotating and self-correcting um, and it's taking out the problematic heroes, which usually are the root cause of the initial issue or the initial win rate of the deck. Like it is more attached to the hero than a card that exists in the deck. But then you have this weird collateral damage where it just takes out, Sometimes a random weapon. And it's I don't know, it feels bizarre.
1: Um, I really like it, actually. <laughs> because I think it I think it adds a different dynamic to how a format can be changed up or how design principles within deck building can be changed up. So like take for example Rosetta Thorn leaving with Briar, right? It's like okay, now that denies access to Rosetta Thorn to you know, like we got to see Vincet with Rosetta Thorn and Vincet with Resetath- without Rosetta Thorn ultimately didn't seem to make an impact and so it just hasn't made an impact on the format. But like in a world where maybe Vincent is slightly stronger, like that's that's really interesting. Or I look at something, um, you know, like obviously with like Viscerape beforehand, it's like, okay, where does viscerai go now? And it doesn't feel like viscerai has the cards right now to compete, but you know, maybe there's a world where it does and and it's a post-Rosita Thorn world. Maybe there's, there's options where Alice is like, well, maybe we could, I don't think they're going to unsuspend, Scalata, unbanned Scalata rather, but you know, you're know, you in a world where it's like, okay, maybe there's a card we could print that we felt we couldn't print when Rosita was legal for Viscerae, for instance. Um, I do agree sometimes it can feel negative and it, sometimes it can feel arbitrary, like yeah. you said before, but I think it's an interesting space for them. I think they have to be really conscious of what that means, um, but I, I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting.
0: So I agree with I agree with you in the sense that I think weapons rotating is interesting and I like it. Uh, I do think that the current system where they rotate with the hero... Wait, what do they even call the system? The signature weapon system? Signature weapon system, yeah. Is random and silly. I actually don't like it. Uh, I, I But I would like to see weapons frequently rotate out at the similar speed to the hero. So if this is the only way to do it, that's fine. I would take that over it not happening. You know, ha- us living with Rosetta Thorne forever. But uh, yeah. What's...
1: Really? You'd live with the Rosetta no, forever? No, I'm saying like I, I, I would
0: not want to live with a Rosetta okay, right, forever. So right, I would want you. another way of rotating that weapon. Um, yeah. But the current system, like the weapons that rotate, feel absurdly random most of the time.
1: Why? Why what feels random about them?
0: Kraken's Aether Vein has now rotated out of the format. What is that called? Like, what? Why?
1: Because that was the card that was that was the weapon. It's a signature weapon Icelanders. outside of this like yeah, printed with Icelander when it first showed up and Yeah, but scene.
0: that's just Symantum. Like the card actually had no impact in the classic constructed format and could exist in a more lower powered format that may be coming after Icelander leaves. Like why are we rotating weapons that have no impact? If like we're in this like rotating format of flesh and blood, which is classic constructed now. We're mm. just taking these weapons that had no impact out. When you 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 are now creating a situation where they could shine. They're not going to shine, in Living Legend. They're shit. That's why they were never played. Why rotate them? That's what I don't understand. Is like if they're they're bad weapons and they aren't played, let them exist in the lower powered format.
1: When was Kraken's Aethervane Vein ever going to shine, though?
0: Kraken's Eighth Vein actually was played at one point in Blitz when Icelander was like first uh, created. That like initial mm. season, it was not good because combo viscera was a deck back then but it was played yeah. i mean it was a playable card um anyway all
1: right yeah when yeah when i said it first got printed right was yes. that when you mean
0: yeah <laughs> all right next one is from moist man boobies i always love this name it's been here for years old yeah old mmb yeah i never actually read it out i just say mmb but it's actually moist man boobies you know we're two years in we can say that now um <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to see from the new brute do you think uh do you think brute do you think brute card could ever be a met a brute car. Do you think a brute could ever be a meta contender, or is it, un- or is it the unreliable nature of the class going to keep it down?
1: It's a good thing that brennan pre-read these questions so that he wouldn't I mean, stumble. Was-
0: <laughs> do you think brute could ever be a meta? Contender? Yeah, I mean, it's just my dyslexia to be honest. There, but
1: <laughs> we good we good So, do we think that brute could ever be a meta contender? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it does have an unreliable nature too. It is des- just a design philosophy, right? Um, it's, it's such an interesting question. Like I've talked a lot about Brute and like what I want to see from Brute. And I think my thoughts on what I want to see from Brute consistently change because the game has evolved, right? What I would want to have Brute to look like in the past just wouldn't fit the current fundamentals of, of what the game is. I think it would just be, it'd be too out of place. It wouldn't fit the design. Um, like I wanted to see at one point consistency from Brute, right? It's like, oh, how do we have this kind of like playstyle that still utilizes discarding system, but allows you to build in a more consistent manner. So you still have like this random nature to like the cards you discard. You still have the fact that there's a dice involved. If you're going to use scab skin leathers or barkbone bone strapping, or whatever it may be. Right. But because of like some redundancy in card printing, you can build your decks in a bit more of a consistent way. I think that philosophy of flesh and blood design has kind of gone away like a power consistency sort of like ratio. It's like, you know, Alice is moving more and more towards one or the other. Uh, and especially, they're moving towards power in an, uncons- in an inconsistent nature. So, I honestly think if if what I want to see from Brute is a little bit of that, like I want to see, I mean, we kind of have that with the talented hero in Leviathan, but I think when it comes to Reiner, like if you instill too much redundancy within Reiner right now, like, it's just, it'd be the worst, it'd be the most toxic hero that's ever been in the game, I think. Like, imagine if just, like, you just were consistently intimidating Brendan and was, like, a powerful, like, you're just allowing your opponent to not play the game. Yeah. Like, right now, if you want to build Reiner in that way, your trade-off is that your power isn't as high. So where do you sit there? I think what I want to see is I want to see a Brute that is focused more around the attack damage itself. You know, like a card like Swing Big is such an interesting card to me. It's powerful, um, but, like, it's in a majestic slot. I think what? there's a no, reason like you can only play it.
0: Intimidate is attached or like attached to under rig. I mean, intimidate is a really toxic It's, it's Ridiculous! It breaks a tenet of card games uh, of like healthy card game design, which is it just says your opponent can't make choices. They can't play the cards. They can't I make, can't make choices. Cards. Yeah, yeah, they don't want that to be consistent. <laughs> um... Do we ever think it'll be reliable Meta Contender? Yes, I do. I mean, especially in the rotating format uh, that we have now with Kirilish's Turbo going out. It might be right now. There is a delta, right? There's a delta where your, your sort of variance or your lack of reliability or consistency is just overshadowed by your power spikes in the just, yeah, the inherent power level of your deck. And whenever you reach that equilibrium, the deck is now good. It doesn't matter if it's unreliable. Maybe it's just, even if you have like... Like say the deck was unreliable and you had this inherent fail rate of like 5%, but if you just auto-won or got close to auto-winning every other matchup, you would play that deck every single day of the week. So there is a balance there. And I think eventually Brute's going to absolutely be a contender. It's just, why would you play a Brute (laughs) in these recent formats when you could play one of these other heroes that was way more consistent, had just way better card quality. And yeah, I mean that was sort of the old the older days flesh and blood might not be the case moving forward as these heroes leave the format
1: yeah i think you they have to be careful about it but okay so take like leviar for example like i fundamentally don't i always thought i was like oh i think a Leviah could be interesting i think there's something that interests me about it i think there's a way you know that this hero evolves and develops into something that can be a bit more consistent my problem with leviar is like you're so whether people want to admit this or not and they might reflect on it differently and be like this isn't true but the constraints to how you have to build your decks in order to play certain games are so, it is actually really narrow because you have this hero ability and this f- fundamental built-in blood debt system that just kills you. So like they can print these demi-heroes, they can do this, but the, the demi-hero doesn't change what is fundamentally the challenge for Leviat, which is like dying to yourself, right? Like, yes, it maybe helps it maybe supports it maybe you can you some power plays to play towards the end of the game that sort of leverage and make you feel like you're making some decisions based on this design system that's going to kill you. But ultimately, it's all kind of the same thing that it was when Levi was first printed. It hasn't really changed that much. And I think Levi is pretty honestly pretty one dimensional and people can disagree if they want to, you know, go for it in the comments. But I think as much as you go like, oh, there's these different builds to Levi, they're all the same thing. They might taste slightly different, but they're all fundamentally, you know, they're all made with the same base ice cream. You know what I mean, Brendan? Whereas like if I want to see a brute, I want to see some aspects of Leviat. But maybe without the whole back of how games yeah. have to kind of finish well, or go. Like some of the things about Levi, I really like. Like Deadwood Rumbler, I love that card. I think that card is so interesting, right? Yeah. But it's tied into this fundamental kind of way that you I think you have to build and play Levi, which hasn't changed since this, the hero was printed.
0: It's an interesting push and pull going on here.
1: <laughs> Cause I would
0: like I would ask like one of my questions, and you kind of just answered it, is like, what do you actually like about Brute Hayden? Do you like it because it it looks like a big savage? like beasts from the for the like what is there some sort of role play thing going on because a lot of the key aspects of brute you don't like (laughs) like a lot of these key design aspects that they're now doubling down on you actually don't like actually you're completely antithetical to them you play decks that are the opposite of this you don't even play decks that are a fart in terms of resemblance to these (laughs) like this is the these are the deck (laughs) so why what is your affinity towards brute is it like a role play thing like what aspect do you actually like
1: yeah, dude, I just like to get up in my big old green shrink. get up and- uh, That's no, what it seems
0: it, like. It's like, uh, no. it's like, I love- It's like, uh I really want to play Kano, but I just hate arcane damage, you know? It's like, wh- what?
1: <laughs> okay, what, what I really enjoy about Brute really goes back to probably the days of, of Crucible of War, I think, which is like- it really kind of encompassed what i think mid-range was in flesh and blood in the early days which is like you have these aspects of attack damage you have these aspects of like evasion with the intimidate and the ability to disrupt your opponent and then you have the aspects of like efficient trading because you have a lot of like three blocks uh, and you have access to be able to kind of like build your deck around sort of different styles like you can play defense reactions you can focus in on blood rush bellows claws plans like i felt the deck was like pretty nimble but the problem is like the deck got left behind in power level like decks just that were as consistent as that and had these kind of dynamic game plans were just more powerful like dash like even eventually lexi you know with cards like three of a kind and codex of frailty decks like guardian in particular that just kind of like left that behind in terms of like the rate of trade and power level and like blood rush bell is a really powerful card like don't get me wrong right but it's like kind of the one card that's powerful in what reiner has looked like in the past you know basically since inception so while i really enjoy this kind of like dynamic between the different playstyles and the different sort of things that that i'm talking about rhino now specifically could do it just never really evolved and i get it right it's like if it becomes too powerful too consistent intimidate becomes too powerful so it's like where do you go from there and i think the question is like you have to focus in on i would like to see them i guess focusing on two of the pillars i think you can't focus in anymore on intimidate disruption evasion you have to focus in on the trading and the kind of damage side of it and i think you can have random nature aspects to that right like you can still do things like draw and discard you can have but i think what i would actually like to see is come up with a completely new mechanic that interacts with six powers i just don't know what that looks like i don't know what. maybe it's not discarding maybe it's not graveyard based maybe it's something to do with play i I don't know what it is but i think there needs to be something else in there design wise that's new and interesting for brute that can kind of play in with what's already existing, but adds this new fresh dynamic. Like we've seen it with other heroes, right? Like Ninja has reinvented itself multiple times. We've seen Ranger be reinvented. So like how does Brute become reinvented to a degree?
0: Next one is from... Laz seventy six. <clears throat> they say, will the meta ignore Kano's battle harden win, or will it respond with arcane barrier and spell Void? So one thing I want to mention that I just remembered
1: while oh, this you were talking. This
0: one. Well, one thing I remembered <clears throat> is it wasn't just the battle harden that happened uh, the past couple of weeks. We also had the realm twenty k, which I think
1: mm-hmm. we we just talked about that last week though.
0: Okay, so there was yeah, there was Kano's the top eight at that. Obviously, one of those Peter. I don't think I think it was maybe two. I know there was like a bunch of Kano's at that tournament. So um, that, that's it. why there's been this. All this talk. You know, one battle hard and win that and it's significant, but you know, multiple weeks of consistent results. I think that's yeah. why Kane isn't everybody's on uh, everybody's. Hey, mind. I had a good
1: national season as well, remember? We, we cast our mind back to national season where Lexi was legal. I had a good,
0: had a good, had a good season. Mm-hmm. So, will the meta ignore Kane? No, I mean, it'll probably overcorrect. <clears throat> and yes, it will correct with Arcane Barrier and Spell Void. I mean, if you can play <laughs> Spell Void in your deck, that's. You should play it. Um, if you think there's going to be Kanos, why not? Because Spell Void is very, very, very effective against Kano. And it is effectively, it's a free roll because the, 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 ga- the design of arcane damage and arcane barrier is that, oh, if you just blast your cards and you go all out and you have no care for what I potentially have, well, then you sus- you're susceptible to this um, multiplicative arcane damage. Spell void says, nah, <laughs> it's just on the field. <clears throat> very, very good against Kano. And if you don't know this, um, for every spell void that you block, it's at least five damage on like a Kano combo. So wildfire. yeah, on wildfire. So do that. Will it, will it, uh, will it correct with I can spell void? Yes. Uh, will it overcorrect? I think so. I think it'll be overcorrected for a bit. Kano will be much, it'll be much harder to perform with Kano in these, in these environments. But this is a cyclical system you know people start cutting cards out they have you no know, it's it's an oppor- there's an opportunity real opportunity cost now and mm-hmm. the decks i mean these tournaments will sort of oscillate between people being prepared or people being underprepared for kano but ultimately after a couple of weeks of consistent results and a battle hardened win to sort of top it off yes i do think that people will respond with arcane barrier and spell void
1: yeah uh one battle hard uh one top eight in the uh, realm it was it was mm-hmm. peter but so this is quite interesting because spell void versus arcane barrier are very different things so you talk about spell void and the impact of how powerful spell void is against the kano combo right mm-hmm. there is ways to build kano where you don't have to re- revolve around wildfire obviously we're super big fans of that because of the consistency and what that's meant in the past and how that kind of you get to reenact this game plan that is pretty repeatable right you have this pretty repeatable game plan. Something you know, if you go and sort of look at the, the Kano video I did last year, that's something I hit on a lot. But in a world where if people turn to Spell Void, there's actually a world where Kano is still really, really powerful and viable if people aren't playing Arcane Barrier. Because you can build There's a little card called Aetherflare, Brendan. It's a pretty good card.
0: Yeah, and, and Spell Void is good against that, too. I was going to say, like, a Spell. unfortunately, Spell Void is good against all the good Kano well, cards because they're all multiplicative damage, right? Like, you know, you'd be like, oh, shit, they might whip out their Voltic Bolts. It's like... <clears throat> Okay, <laughs> I mean the, the cards yes. you're scared about are eight flares, sonic booms. Like um, if mm-hmm. so they're not playing well, so I still think that I still think spell void is like really effective against Kano decks that are maybe not all in a wildfire. But if you're playing a Kano deck that's not all in wildfire, you're actually playing a worse Kano deck. I mean, we've spent well years as a collective community trying to innovate away from that, and it's just not—it's just the best strategy Kano has.
1: So I kind—I kind of. I agree, but I disagree. So I agree that it's the best strategy canon has, but if the format is evolved to that with Spell Void, there there is ways to play around Spell Void because Spell Void is a one-time use. Like, if you if you, okay, you set up your wildfire, you go wildfire, right? The the resource, inherent resource dump that you need into that is so huge. It's the ragamuffins hat, it's the boots, it's like an energy potion potentially, it's your tunic counter or your spellfire clock. There's a lot of resources involved in that. So spell void basically negates the use of all these resources and puts you in a position where you now no longer have, um, you know, starts and play, stays in play kind of aspects to your your deck your 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 ragamuffins hat your boots for instance your energy potion if that you put into play your spellfire cloak whatever it is you've now burnt all these and your opponent's able to negate that with this this like shield they have once that shield's gone it's gone but the problem is when you don't have these resources left afterwards to push through more damage you're kind of just dead in the water right but if your deck is filled with like redundant uses of kind of multiplicative damage against spell void it's actually pretty good and that was like my experience, especially when the format was like a little bit slower, is was like, if people are playing in a format that isn't just like hyper aggressive with Spell Void, then, and if they're playing Spell Void, they should get punished for it. Like if Guardian plays Spell Void, like that is trash. Like that is not good. But if a slow deck plays, if a slow deck plays Arcane Barrier, like as a Kano, like are you not frothing? If you're like, you sit down against your Guardian opponent, they're playing Bravo and they have Arcane Barrier 3. Like you feel pretty good in that game, right?
0: Yeah, the more Arcane Barrier, they ha- honestly, yeah. There's one thing you said right. there. If, if, if my Guardian opponent plays Spell Void, I'm shitting myself. Uh, it's bad. Be- this is like more Starvo because Starvo had access to it. Mm-hmm. but Of course. It's bad because Guardian is actually a really aggressive deck. I mean, Spell Void is best when it's paired with an aggressive deck, right? Period. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that there's not a lot of redundant multiplicative damage sources in Kano, and that's the issue. Like, what are you gonna do you do? to do? It's for yellow? It's for blue? I mean, you're probably playing the blue, but there's just not a lot of instances of that. You I I play that, yellow? Yeah, I think that the best the best card against Spellvoid is probably like Stirforked or something, to be honest. It's like I mean well, that's a really weak combination of cards. I like this.
1: Sonic Boom is a particularly powerful card. Yeah, Spell is good. Against against Bo- yes, but Spellvoid is one time use. So you can't spell void every single thing. You have to you have to make a choice and you're forcing your opponent to make a choice. So like, okay, you spell void my sonic boom. Okay, now I'm gonna wildfire you. Oh, guess you die okay you're gonna like you're gonna save your spell void for my wildfire that's fine i'm gonna continue to throw aetherflare turns at you and sonic boom turns at you and i'm gonna find a red emeritus off the top of my deck i'm like you know these are the things i'm gonna do i'm gonna play cinder uh cindering foresight in my deck i'm gonna start to try and like push big multiple damage on on multiple turns and see how you respond i i think and and this is definitely something i have played around with before when it comes to kano is like if but the problem is this has never happened People haven't just been like, because Icelander was always in the format when when people have considered Kano. So it's like, okay, well, like Arcane Barrier is what you play. Or oh, there's been there's been um, Rosetta Thorn and Rune Blades in the format. So it's like, okay, why well, just play Arcane Barrier. But that is no longer like necessarily just the default because the only true Arcane damage that's kind of wielding around at the moment is coming from Kano, vincet and viscerai, And no one's playing Visseray. And very few people are playing Vincent at this point, and people are probably going to play Arcane Barrier 1 max in that matchup. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just think it looks completely different. Anyway, I just want to put it out there. When it goes, Kano moving forward, I think that there is a potential that you can take advantage of people moving towards Spell Void as Kano. It's not the end of the road.
0: Yeah. Not only pushback is I think the deck would look like the exact same. <laughs> like, I've more Spell Void. I think you just the same deck. Uh, I do think cinder and Force Kano
1: is a philosophy card. thing, though, right? It's a mindset. It's how you play. It's a philosophy. A lot of it, as well.
0: <laughs> I don't know if your opponent's got Spell Void. You're feeling pretty weak in that philosophy. I'm not gonna lie. It's a good card. Um, anyway, on to the next one. So from McGrew M, they say: Do professional players and grinders have an obligation to attend armories and local events? Given what we know about the OP system, it seems that stores with higher armory attendance get invites for larger events. Grinders. And players have an obligation. Well, I hope it'll have an all. I hope it's not an obligation. I almost said we, which would have been a huge misnomer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. The more it's interesting the dynamic between local play and then, uh, like tier four play, um, because of resources like Talishar. And let's pretend Talishar doesn't exist, I don't want to get Talishar like in trouble, but armory play. Uh, you know, I'm actually not going to put any logic behind this. I'm just going to say this. It seems to be a trend. It's not everybody. It's not universal. But it seems to be a trend is that people, as people play more Pro Tours, and they play more World Championships, not in total. So don't freak out. But sometimes they start playing less Armory events. They start mm-hmm. playing less local events. Because instead of playing local events, they now play the game with their testing team or they play it online to play it as efficiently as possible because they need as many you know, curated good reps as possible mm-hmm. it's not universal not everybody does that but i do think it is a phenomenon that happens
1: um it's the majority maybe it, that I it's just so.
0: like one of the I statements is gonna piss people off because they're gonna be like oh like you know as people get good they just start stop playing locally it's not the case it's not because locals are bad it's just because if you're in a lot of my opinion i'm assuming this is opinions shared by people that follow this behavior is that as you if you're preparing for one of these events, the most efficient way to, to test the game and to prepare for the game is often not at the armory level. It's often mm-hmm. at the interpersonal level in a testing team or something like that.
1: So it's, it's return on investment. Like that's, and that, that, that's how I see it in particular. I, I, we can answer that first question at the end, but um, the way I see it is like, as much as I want to play armories and skirmishes and, and go to these events and one, mm. be there and play and enjoy it, two, support local stores and those that have kind of created the and curated the game in my community. Um, As much as I want to do those things, like my time is being competed for with like the larger events as well. So it's like, I can't do everything. Unfortunately, I can't play all these and maybe there's, you know, and that's not the same for everyone, right? Like I'm speaking from my personal standpoint here. For some people it's possible to do all of it, but I know for a lot of people it it unfortunately isn't. And you've got to make a decision. Mm. And if you're playing these big events, often the decision just naturally becomes uh, well, this is how I need to spend my time to get the most efficient use of, of reps, like you just said before.
0: It's interesting because you use this, using this conversational framework, you're like, I wish I could do this, but then I don't uh, because of X reasons. But Or, you know, I want to do this. But for me, you know, like some of the stuff, like I don't, I actively don't want to do. Like uh, I'm true. recording, I'm recording at in the evenings a lot of times. So a lot of my evenings are picking up. But for me, for a local game store, it's 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. So... There's a lot of times where I just don't want to do that. Um, And I wanted to do that in the past because my only way to engage with the game when it was fresh, when it was new, to get exposed to new ideas was to play at the local level. So I went through these barriers that are not enjoyable. Like those are like, dude, an hour commute is not enjoyable for me, especially on a Thursday night. So now that I don't have those barriers as much anymore, I'm like, sometimes, like a lot of time, actually, it's like, I'm making the choice. It's like... I don't want to do that. There's other things in my life I'd rather give attention to than, you know, go spend three, four hours at this event. So um, it's not that I don't want to play locals at all. It's just that it is a larger cost to me now because I'm able to engage with the game in other ways. So in in terms of obligation, I don't think so. I do think that for me, I'll talk about something that happened to me like in in like early Magic. um,
1: Can I ask a question first though? mm Did we not just say the same thing?
0: I think we did. I think we did. It's just like, but you said, <laughs> okay. but you said there's like, the way you phrased it was like that you want to actually do all these things, but you can't because you're doing all those other things. It's like, I could do this. I physically could go to more army events, but right, right. I actually don't want to a lot of the time because it is so inconvenient sometimes. It's not that I don't want yeah, to all yeah. the times, but I am definitely making a choice. Um, I just want to make that. But, like,
1: if there, was an, if there was an armory at the right time of day for you downstairs underneath your house- yeah,
0: and all my friends were across the world with there. Yeah, I'd probably pop down for a few no, minutes. No, no, no. You
1: don't have to have all your <laughs> friends there. Just, you know, you, you head downstairs, because I don't know if you shout, shout out to Fluke and Box, but he literally lives next to his LGS. So okay. I'm always like, if he's not there, I'm like, come on, man, Why, what, what's your excuse? But, no. but, you know, like, if, if, if you're a 30-second walk to your armory and you could choose what time that armory was, it's just your locals that you would normally go to a year ago, whatever it was. Like, I, personally, I would go to that all the time if I could choose the time. Like, that'd be great but it's not the way we live and it's not realistic <laughs> you know yeah I, I, I you know there is a commute to get to these things like you say also i don't particularly want to do that or i can't do that and that's that's the same for a lot of people so
0: there's um when i, I first got go. engaged go. to california, or california what the fuck, where'd that word come from when i first got engaged to card games um like magic i went to a couple of magic drafts There, are like at the local scene when i was really new into the game i didn't really know much if there was like a pro player that showed up that was like really, really cool to me. So I do yeah. think that players playing pro tours and world championships, going to Armory events less is not a good thing. Because I do, well, at least for me, when I was first getting into games, like it was really, really cool. Because like being able to be exposed, because if you don't have that support system and those players around you to actually play against players that are in those tournaments, to pair into one of them locally and get to experience that, it was really cool. And there was like this notoriety, and there was this, just like I want, it, at, you know, I was aspiring to do that as well. So it was. Uh, It was really cool to see them at Locals, which pretty much never happened. It happened like once. Uh, I was like, why do these guys not go? These guys play this game for a living. Why are they not at the Locals every single week? And it was like mind-blowing to me that that was not the case. Now I understand, I guess. (laughs)
1: All right, next question. Uh, oh right the, the original question I, I don't think there's an obligation by the way
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know about but, obli- even if there was an obligation i still wouldn't i mean still wouldn't do it for the same reasons i don't do it and i still would do it for the same reasons i do do it it's just like yeah. this idea of like an obligation um probably not is it it's is, great, though. Yeah. It is great though it is great it is great i mean i wish yeah i think it's i think it is net beneficial for the game if uh tier four event players go to armory so i think it's a good a good thing for the game like you said uh higher armory attendance invites larger events so you're cur- curing that local scene is really important Hayden and I were both extremely involved in our local scenes when the game was basically non-existent in like year one um and as those scenes have grown and they foster their own communities I don't feel uh an obligation to be as involved as I used
1: to be I'm did sure. do I feel like I was going to four or five armories a yep, week so it was for like six to twelve months like I've I feel like I've done paid my dues, right? Just I was
0: paying for like random kids <laughs> entries and shit like that. I mean, I was doing like all this kind of stuff just because, I mean, especially in America, like in 2019, nobody was playing the game. So yeah, yeah, a different age. Anyway, next one is from old MMB again. Do you think new heroes should have meta relevance?
1: Hmm. No. <laughs> I don't know about no
0: or yes. I think when they, if you have sets that don't hit.
1: Uh, okay. I'm phrasing this from. Oh, should way. they? I guess I was thinking the question is like, um, they should have meta relevance. Okay. I'm like, no, they don't need to, but they also should not have relevance. Yeah, I, I agree with you.
0: One thing. Uh, one thing I. I. One thing I don't like is when we have sets that come to the game and have actual like clo- close zero to zero impact, impact and yeah, then yeah. I don't want LSS to look at that and be like, that's a W. It's like, it's going to happen in the future because we have this auto rotating living legend thing that is so intelligently designed where it's like, it's pretty freaking random. And yes, we are coming to the fruition where sets and heroes that didn't have impact in the past are having impact now. But I think that if you're delivering four hero sets that do absolutely nothing to the game, you should be reevaluating how you're designing those sets. They should be, they should have some impact because at the end of the day, if they have zero class constructed impact, people aren't going to buy it. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist of economics, but it's not great. Um, you know, yeah, because people, people open these boxes to play the cards in classic instructor, there's, there's limited yeah. that exists. It's significant, but ultimately if the box has zero value, it's just not, it's just not a great spot. So that's my take.
1: We spoke about this for like 30 minutes, um, on the pod after bright lights dropped actually, just before worlds. So you can hear us really dive into that, but yeah. I think both of our answers are kind of the same, which is like. It's not a yes, it's not a no, but the set should have some relevance.
0: Yeah, I mean, a set having zero relevance is an L, it's not that's a not W. It. That's great. That's. Okay. Next one is from Park of the Local. They say is the fact that competitive flesh and blood is played in person and not virtually why there seems to be a disparity between online demands for bands and rotations, while the metagame slash tournament results tend to support a varied and diverse meta. For example, Cheerios Briar and Hayden winning on ride, the recent Jermai, fear, etc. Are folks' expectations simply calibrated for digital rather than a purely paper format? So I think that you're not necessarily wrong, but mm-hmm. I think that you've kind of twisted what actually happened here and it's not a digital versus paper thing there is to an extent like towel is not a good re- uh, it's not a good representation of what the game will look at at the, the highest level period it's not but people call it like the in terms of like the the jermai fear cheerios Briar, like those things were all real i mean jermai was one of the best decks at the world championship did it materialize like that was it the most played deck no but there are a lot of people that whether it was analog, you know, in paper or in person, they would have thought the same thing. And I think that, you know, people calling for bands based on some things online performance or what you're alluding to is that they're actually not that good it has nothing to do with the, the, the difference between online and person It's just how card gamers interact with card games. And they just, mm-hmm. you know, when an idea is popular, when people believe something, they hop on the bandwagon and then they call for, they call for a change. And sometimes that idea, that philosophy is not representative, of the actual truth of the format. That's not purely based off, I mean, <laughs> sometimes it is just ignorance and that, that's fine. That's totally natural and that's going to happen. I don't think it's a paper versus digital thing. I just think that all of these situations that you were outlining here, like Curious Bride being the best deck, it was, <laughs> it is. I mean, it was, it is. And then hate winning a Viscera, totally valid. Like these things just happen. Um, and... Yeah, I, I think that, that just is flesh and blood. Maybe people are a bit too quick online rather than they would be in, in paper because the sample size is much higher now that we have this, this online variant. But, um, I mean, there's plenty of formats where the best deck is not the deck that wins the tournament. And that is just, that is a testament to good design. It's a testament to, to card games, right? The best deck is not guaranteed to win every single time.
1: Basically, I agree with everything you said, which is, you know, except one thing. Mm. But I just, I think your point about what Park is saying and kind of the misaligning it to kind of digital versus paper, I think is true. Like, I don't think it has much to do with that. And more, it's about just fundamentally how card gamers talk in absolutes a lot of the time as well. But one of the things I do want to point out is like Dromai, right? I do think that that's the one kind of exception to that. Like, you look at, okay, Starvo, Lexi, Chiros, Briar, Chain, like, these were all definitely the best decks and it was kind of insane right dromai was kind of this odd thing where again like it just there was like this kind of dromai hysteria with like tome being printed and i sat there like we talked about this a lot like i don't think Dromae was the best deck and i just think i think tome didn't help dromai but anyway we can that's a larger discussion but i, I completely agree about the kind of online versus paper i don't i don't think it's actually relevant
0: all right next one brendan c <laughs> great name <laughs> How do you go about preparing for a new limited Great format, both sealed and draft? With the Calling sounds set to take place potentially before all the cards have been spoiled, what advice would you give the players heading to that event?
1: Oh, this is my favorite question, because this is like really related to like flesh and blood and, and playing the game, and this is where I can give you some actual expertise, Brendan. Mm. And Brendan. Shout out to Brendan. Um, the, okay, this is one thing I've been thinking about, right? Because... Queenstown, I'll be in Queenstown. It's going to be a very different prospect. We're basically playing a world premiere, and it's a calling. We will have some preview cards available. Like that is that is going to happen. How much of the set we'll know about beforehand? Mm, not exactly sure at this stage, right? Like the preview season is the week prior, right, Brendan? So we will we will see in a big chunk of cards. My I guess my advice for preparing for this is to try and keep it as simple as possible. I think. Is to try and work out day one, if you, okay, if you want to make day two, first of all, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to finish day one with a good record, right? You've got to make that day two uh, record. So the first thing you need to work out is like, okay, what do I need to do in sealed? Draft can come later, honestly, like focus on sealed first. It's like, okay, what that's where you should probably put your effort. And I think the the first thing to have a look at is like, as the cards come out, what do we know about this format? What are the core tenants of this format? What are the key, like really understanding the new, uh, um, keywords. And archetypes is going to be important. You're right. I had a sneeze. It's great for audio. Um, it's understanding. Yeah, like the, the keywords. I think it's going to be the most important thing straight away. So you know, we've already seen some cards from this format in the form. You know, we know we're getting dual class. Okay, so sit down. What does dual class mean? Like how powerful? Like trying to isolate how powerful these cards are. How relevant the dual cast the dual class cards are. But then also beyond that, we've already seen. Um, some of like the mechanics right so we know about clash we know about um what's the other one called is it wage wager so we know about wager so i think i would sit down and think about okay how do i want to use these mechanics so i'm looking at a card like money where your mouth is right which is the common generic action that has go again that gives plus 3 to your next attack this turn and it has wager right so it's like okay if I'm going to be playing cards like this, in my deck, how, what am I assigning to wager roughly? We talked about this last week when we talked about kind of seeing some of these cards, like what kind of value am I assigning to wager? Is it like, is it a point? Is it two points of value? How do I want to use this card? As I start to see some other cards spoiled, it's like, okay, the next thing I'm starting to look at is like, I'm seeing some cards spoiled. What could be my win conditions um, based on my heroes? We know, we know there's a young Kasai for instance, um, in the set. How am I going to utilize Kasai? What are the cards that, what are the strategies that my mind? I mean, you don't get to get a chance to play games, right? So I think the, fir- the fundamental thing you have to do is just understand like, in theory, like what could my decks look like? How am I going to win games and try and already have pre-evaluated some cards so that when you're opening and doing your seal pool, you don't have to read every single card and try and evaluate everything on the day. You've already pre-evaluated some of these cards when it comes to the, the context of the format.
0: So if it was up to, it's up to if, if my life depended on winning the calling Queenstown, like i would i would play with the cards before i play that event i'll tell you go listen to a set review from marshall pass you'll see you can evaluate something there's so much theory everybody's got ideas don't listen to them. You should just print them bitches the out vacuum. and play with the cards. you got to play with the cards. It changes everything. But, but
1: the set isn't going to be... The full set isn't going to be available. It doesn't
0: matter. You They're need just... context of cards. Like You need as many cards as you can. You print them out. You play with them. You build gauntlet decks. It's so important. Like You can evaluate so many cards in a vacuum, which is what you're evaluating them in when you look at the, the set or the spoilers. It's hard to contextually bring them all together in a full entire set in your freaking noggin and then be like, this is powerful, this is not. You mo- mostly evaluate cards in a vacuum. That's not how... Limited and steel plays out. Yes, there must be there might be some outliers that are overwhelmingly powerful or broken, and then that's a good idea. But in terms of getting good at a format quick, or when when we actually crystallize good ideas about a format, it's after people play with the cards. It's after they get their hands on the cards and they test ideas and they reach objective results i'm like, is my theory wrong or is it is it correct? Etc. So if if it was up to me and I had to win that tournament and I had to do everything in my power to do so, I would get playing with the cards as much as spoiled. Because I think that every single time we've had we've we've done so many set we've had set reviews since uh, Monarch. Now Mm -hmm. I have so many ideas, and I think sometimes I'm correct. But as soon as I touch those cards, and as soon as we run a few games, it's like okay, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you will hear so many terrible takes, both from us and from other people, about like what is good, what's what's a good strategy, what is bad. I mean, I just think you got to play, and I wouldn't. I would not want my first experience, if I could avoid it, playing with the cards, to be, you know, on the day of day one of the tournament. For instance, we played. Um, we played a world premiere for Uprising, and Hayden. I'm not sure if you played that one blind, but I definitely didn't because mine was the day after Hayden's because Hayden was
1: because well, I gave you all the pieces. Yes, feedback. And I, yeah. go, hey, uh, I played it
0: blind. Well, it's broken. He goes five's broken. Play five six zero easy. <laughs> like it's just, it just is. It's because obviously I probably would have played Icelander, you know, New Wizard, all this stuff, but you told me the heuristics and it was much, much easier. So I think that if you should play with as many of the cards as you can, just get like a real feel for where the power level of the cards lie. Um, there's a seal for it. I don't know how much will be revealed by then, but I'm assuming it'll be a significant amount.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. I, I mean, I agree. If you can, that is great. Like if you can, if we have a big chunk of the set and you can like just put together kind of like, what an average Kasai deck might look like or an average ex brute hero or ex-Guardian hero might look like, go for it. I, I think when you said about like evaluating cards in a vacuum, you, you don't have to evaluate cards in a vacuum though. And and you shouldn't evaluate cards in a vacuum. Like I would be sitting down, like right now I'm looking at Kasai and I'm going, okay, Kasai, Centauri Sabers, this is what we know about Kasai from Class constructor Play. This is how, or Blitz Play, whatever, sorry. This is how Kasai plays, this is how you want to use Centauri Sabers what are the cards that I'm seeing so far and how they can interact with what I know is how Kasai operates fundamentally. Like there's some things that you know about Kasai and second weapon and how you can utilize that hero ability. So like, how does the cost structure of the cards we're seeing so far play into that? For instance, money with your mouth is cost one, right? So if I have a blue and I have a way to get Go Again, there, maybe cost one, then I have one cost for my first saber. One cost for my money with your mouth is one cost for my go again card. That's a blue pitch value right i'm getting value from my hero ability so i think there is ways that you can do it and it's not in a vacuum but yeah i mean ultimately the best way to find out anything is to, to play
0: next one last one from discord here comes from darken they say what are your thoughts on pros farming pqs for gold foils of course many of these situations involve deals made with their opponents you take the invite i'll take the gold foil fair enough i suppose but i wonder if this outcome is in the spirit of competitive, the competitive roadmap. I saw tweets from one pro in particular adver- advertising they won four to five gold foils in the PQs. Using I cannot help but wonder how it feels to the local community. Please attempt to take a filthy casual to, to think like a filthy casual when you answer. So, there's a really interesting dichotomy going on in your actual question, which is you talk about. So, what are your thoughts of pros? Of course, might involve deals with their opponents. Fair enough, but I wonder what the outcome of this, if this is the outcome of the spirit of the intended competitive roadmap. So you talk about the spirit of the uh, intended competitive roadmap. Well, <laughs> in the spirit of, com- of competition, the best player should win. And that sometimes means that the worst players will lose every single time and that one person will win five gold foils. So I actually think that the spirit of competition here is not your ideal scenario either. Because you're talking about, pro players coming in, spiking these, making money from them, yeah, you know, winning five gold foils, and then players that are maybe a little bit below them, maybe still very very good players on their own, sort of lose out on five gold foils. But that is true competition. That is the best player winning. If it's done through deals like obviously that's not fair. <laughs> that's not that's probably illegal even in the game's rules. Um whatever. But yeah, I don't know this I I picked up this question because there was one point. <laughs> I told him this before he held the pause. There was one point when the locals, my locals had come up and complained to me, to me, I wasn't even playing these events, that Brody Spurlock had not conceded to them at some point in a tournament to give them an invite to a ProQuest. This is before they passed down. And it was just like the weirdest thing to me. Because yes, Brody already had his invite, but the entitlement to the PQ is like, oh, why couldn't he just, because he doesn't want to lose. That's it. That's fine. And that's a fine answer. It's like you can, there was like this weird idea that he was like morally obligated to pass things down, which I could understand. I mean, I understand that someone wants to go, they want to invite, but you're not entitled to invite, you're not entitled to the win. Nothing. He beats you fair and square. It's not yours. And if, if his only goal, if his goal to play tournaments is just to win, it's not to get invites. It's not, it's not to win gold foils. It's just to win. And he maintains that by not conceding. Good on him. That's competition. So I think it's fine that players win four to five in a row. If they're cheating to do it, like you know, splitting things and I guess conceding to each other and making these bribe-based deals, which is I think actually against the rules, then that's probably not great. But um, I understand on a local level if it feels bad when someone from out of town comes in and spikes away your gold foil. But that is competition. I mean that that is what I don't know. I guess the real world of flesh and blood is like you don't get to just you're not you're not you're not going to be given. Wins ever. And especially as you go up the ladder to tier three, tier four, like the, we want the, we want players to win, to put in the work and put in the effort and deserve it. So while it might not feel good when five gets spiked away, and like I said, caveat, if they're cheating to do it, then, you know, if they're making bribes and all stuff, that's, that's not great. But I think that is the spirit of competition. And what are they going to do against that? And say, if you can't play, if you've attended a pro, a pro, a pro tour this year, no, nah. I mean, they're open, they're open events. So the best player
1: wins. Um that's a lot. <laughs> mm. I think first of all, price splits are perfectly legal and within the rules of the game. Um price splits just have to involve every player remaining in the event, though. So, you know, you can't price split into a top eight, for instance. Sounds like he was assuming that this season. was
0: happening beforehand, right? or it was sure. like they were making the deal okay. kind of beforehand and yeah.
1: Sure. I, I think your Pitch on, you know, best players win. It's competitive. No one deserves the invite, etc. Get it. But I think actually what that highlights is potentially a problem with the competitive roadmap. So I think when I'm reading this question from Darken, I think in terms of when Darken highlights the spirit of the intended competitive roadmap, I think they're referring, and this is at least how I'm interpreting, they're referring more to, I guess, what Alice's want the competitive roadmap to be, which is players utilizing the pro quest season or the Road national season as a way to qualify for these events and i think actually what this what you just said highlights the fact that i think the system's kind of broken um that i don't think that it functions as a qualification process as much as it also functions as a local competitive event open event like you just said so if i compare this to like magic and how you used to qualify for magic pro tours right it was like once you'd got your invite you actually couldn't play in these these pro tour qualifiers anymore you gained your invite you now couldn't enter a qualifier because you were qualified and i think obviously lss want as many people playing as possible they want the game to grow they want these events to you know maybe they want them to have the best players and they want the same people to win them that that's fine but is that kind of the right system is that the right approach i I don't know like i think all the things you said are like valid points in terms of you know best player wins people should concede people should be playing to win you know if you want to be the best you got to beat the best etc i completely agree with all that but is that kind of what a qualification system should look like i don't know and that's kind of what i when i read darken's question i'm like "Ah, i don't know the the system to me kind of seems like it might be a little bit broken to be honest
0: that's because it's predicated off of ev like if you put $1,000 thousand yeah, dollars of, of EV oils. at the gold foil. What do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> you yeah. just made it's it you just made it an objectively correct decision for someone to come in and try to win it that maybe shouldn't be attending that ProQuest. <sighs> maybe but hold
1: up okay let me throw this i think you're right
0: hold on i think that you could go through a system where after you've won maybe you don't get another but is that too janky and is it incentivizing the wrong thing where now you're just janky don't you're punishing now you're price
1: splitting with people and all this kind of stuff to yeah you're like uh you know doing back that's that's awful i think i think you're you're right that's not a way to go down what i would say though is you have people traveling to battle hardens when you know people talk about ev and all this it's like a battle harden. the ev at battle harden is dreadful but people still travel to different countries to play them. They're not doing that because they're the EV. They're doing that because they enjoy the game and they want to play the game. So you have this kind of dichotomy between encouraging people to just play the game and enjoy and be at any flesh and blood event they want versus people um, not being able to play because they've already gained their invite or whatever. So it, it's a, it's a tough one, right? You yeah. want incentive for people to play, but you also yeah. potentially want a system that fits and feels good to qualify for an event. So yeah, it's where exactly do you you draw the line?
0: It's not clear. And should you draw a line at all? It's like, where exactly do you draw the line? Who should and should not be able to play? Who should and should not be able to win? Is really what you're asking is who should and should not be able to win. And I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. It's like a crazy, I mean, I mean the true, the true aspect of competition is just, It's kind of what's happening. Like these people are just winning them over and over again because they put in the I mean, I'm not I I don't even think it's a good system. I do agree it feels bad. Like it doesn't feel good when someone comes out and it's just spiking the gold flow out of your local community. I mean, people have tried to implement things to prevent that as well in the past, but
1: Well, those are terrible, obviously. Yeah, those are terrible.
0: As in like we are, you know, doing fifteen private signups it's only our armory group, etc and you know, we have like a road to national.
1: Yeah, it's just awful.
0: But um I think it's Ultimately, the reason why this happens with the gold foils is because they, they're they so valuable. Like, that, that's why these players are taking time out of there to win them. And that's also why it feels bad to lose them, I guess. Because, like, well, yeah, why does, it, why does it feel bad? It's because the, the same player is running away with the $1,000 prize every single time. I don't know. I, I don't think that the system's inherently bad at the moment, to be honest, even if it leads to these feel bad moments where one player is winning over and over again
1: yeah i mean in an ideal world you like one of the things i well in my ideal world is like you're actually in a position or well, the company's in a position where they can offer travel incentives for prizes rather than oh, yeah. <laughs> that'd be great that would be you know <laughs>
0: yeah a little but. gold foil thing i mean it's uh promo based pricing is inherently Ponzi-nomic as well so like it's it, the value of whatever these promos are is set by the market and it should inherently trend down. But like, it, I guess that's kind of out of LSS's control is like that these things are worth a $1, 1000 a $1,500. So now you have people flying in to a local arm, you know, to a local road to nap, their or local ProQuest to win them. So yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, I think it's a symptom of concept or a symptom of like um these conditions that LSS is not inherently in control of, but they could maybe add, you know, they could maybe interject a bit to help, but ultimately I don't think the system is, is, is too flawed.
1: Mm. Okay. We've got some Twitter questions around round it out, Brandon. Do you want to throw those our way to close it up?
0: And the last one, or not the last one, the first one from Twitter here comes from Sam O'Byrne. They said, what are you guys hoping to see from both fab coverage and fab content in 2024?
1: I want more videos from those guys at three floating. That's <laughs> what I want, Brennan.
0: Yeah um we start with coverage because coverage is an easy one just throw shade at coverage so um yeah you should record drafts um it's just just like i mean they're flesh and blood will die on the hill Uh, at this point i do think that multiple years into it, with the feedback they've gotten they're happy to die on the hill of we will not record a draft we'll see if they change that um I do think that the player narratives, we've talked about this plenty of times, uh, need to be pushed a lot more, a lot, lot more. And yeah, just overall quality of production. Um, there are some outliers there. There are some good, <laughs> some good productions, but tier four event production needs to go up drastically. I think that what Magic the Gathering is doing right now, and I know that Magic the Gathering has a lot of flaws, but when I watch a pro tour of Magic, like I'm thoroughly entertained. It is Seamless, like there is constant content. We go from match to match to match. The quality is great. The audio quality is great. The video quality is great, and it feels really professional. Even though I don't really like watching the game, I'm very, very impressed when I watch coverage. So I mm-hmm. hope that Flesh and Blood looks, you know, looks to them as a bit of an example. Not in every single way, right? They're not perfect, but um, we have a lot of leveling up to do when it comes to coverage, especially when it comes to weaving care, uh, player narratives. Mm-hmm.
1: I agree with all that. I think if I'll speak to cover uh, to content, I think from content, uh, I was not joking when I said more videos from Three Floating. I think the production value that um, Sam and and the um, Aiden and, and Jacob put into their videos is is fantastic. I'd like to see more of that kind of level of quality, and it's really hard. Like as content creators, Brendan, like we we know how hard it is to produce kind of you know any level of of content, let alone you know top top level content. So, um, I think that is you know if there is. People out there who have the the wherewithal and the ability, the funds, the time to do that—that's kind of what I want to see more of. Is um, yeah, just high production value in in content creation. And what I would love to see for content creation in 2024 oh, is I would like to see. <laughs> is, okay, I'm wondering I'm if you're going sure.
0: to take mine out of my. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I want I want the. I want the channel fireball of flesh and blood. That's what I want. Mm, mm. I want. I want to see the top players in the world. Um, get some experience creating content. I think first of all, experience creating content because it, it does take some time. I think to be able to understand what your voice is and how to curate the content you create. But I think a platform for that uh, would be would be fantastic, to be honest. Um, and I know there's some some platforms out there. I just I just don't think so far they've been the right fit for this game. So
0: yeah, and um, I th- yeah, I have a few thoughts as to why that's the case. Obviously, there's like content you got to curate that. It's a I mean, it's a big effort, but Ultimately, a lot of those websites really don't pay well, and I think they can pay a lot better, to be honest. And that's coming from experience. <laughs> uh, in terms of content, what I want to see is I want to see more people in the likeness of what Gorgonian and Tom did recording the actual history mm-hmm. of the game. I think that's really interesting. Um, like, I think it's really, really cool to have people aggregate content and then tell an actual story of like what actually happened. Because we have ideas what happened in the game, but often they're wrong. Like our memories are wrong. We don't perceive like what what actually occurred. And I remember that video that Gordanian Tom made against um about chain was really, really cool.
1: That's really good. It was really yeah. cool.
0: It was really, really cool. So I'd like to see more people diving into like the history of the game. Um
1: I just this think it's fascinating. It's not helpful for, for anyone else but you, Brennan. But I sent you a um a small video that was made on YouTube by a guy about the world yo yo championship. I watched it. And I like that. I want to see stuff like that out there. Like that is like twenty minutes, twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes, documentary style, but like really curated, informational, um, accessible. I really like that video. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of there's a lot of story. I mean, there's a there's an uncountable, unquantifiable amount of stories and narratives that occur at any given time or any you know time Mm. period in flesh and blood that just get lost and i think they're they're fascinating like there's so much that goes on behind these events and all the effort and passion that goes that is behind them but we like i said that means my biggest issue with coverage and coverage i feel like we capture almost zero percent of it which is a big bummer next one is altered ashley they say there's a lot of talk of needing pre-constructed decks for onboarding new players to cc as blitz isn't a legitimate flesh and blood experience do you agree with this if so what heroes would you recommend for them um i disagree i do think they've Blitz is a legitimate flesh and blood
1: experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same. <laughs> <laughs> same thing as about to say, all right, let's get ahead of this one. It is. But I know people have been talking about CC Dextra. Look, we talked about this the other week on the pod. There needs to be a better entry product for players, and I think there also needs to be a better transition product for Classic Constructed. So I would like to see I well, yeah, I would like to see something in the vein of what they tried with the oh, I always get the name wrong
0: uh what's it called what is it give
1: me uh, the reiner versus yeah, it's classic thing. battles baby classic battles i would like to see something in that vein yeah but, but that's not that, a scam yeah that product was not correct the pricing needs to be correct the i think it can be done with classic constructed or blitz both would be great and i think classic constructed we've seen classic constructed like or pre-constructed decks with blitz that people have then like taken and upgraded and stuff and i've heard a lot of people doing that that's great i would also like to see it for classic constructed i think as well
0: all right i have a question for you Aiden. What do yeah. you think what do you think? I think is the best introductory product in flesh and blood currently. What is
1: it? Talishar.
0: Yes. It is Talishar. <laughs> it is. Talishar is no, it is. It is. Try before it's not you a buy. From try, LSS I know it's not. I know it doesn't fall into that category, but in terms of like actually being able to experience the game, understand how it works, what you want to buy into, try different heroes. I mean Talishar is the best. Thing for, like it, it's honestly one of the best things that exists in flesh and blood it's a great tool for the game i think that's why they've been it down because it's great marketing but yeah in terms of an introductory product that you can buy in paper there's not a great one uh, right now mm-hmm. i used to buy magic dual decks when i was a big card game noob i loved it we don't have that we don't have a, a version no. of that in flesh and blood but yeah i do think that talish is great for new players anyway next one scowling flesh bag if heavy hitters was a blank slate what would you like to see what would you like to see in the set to be, uh to best support the health of the game going into early 20 sorry 2024
1: i mean honestly my answer is i don't know that's that's the tough thing that's that's the toughest part right now is that i actually don't know the the clear direction i would like to see alice's take with sets in 2024 mm-hmm. um what i would like to see at some point in 2024 maybe not heavy hitters maybe not the first set but at some point in 2024 is a reintroduction of the talent system that fits with the new direction of flesh and blood that's what i would like to see and i think that's a really big challenge for lss they've clearly moved away from the talent system um they've clearly moved back towards more fundamental concepts that drive variance and drive kind of um a, almost a new dynamic to to gameplay a little bit that's more open it's more um you know it, it allows heroes to trade on a more similar basis of the game you know to play a game in a similar way um and especially that's been heightened by the recent living legend of icelander and lexi i think so you know with ice going so i yeah i would like to see the talent system reintroduced in a way that is sustainable for the future and I, I don't know what that looks like but I, I i really think if we don't see any talents either re-envisioned or re-engineered in this year and i don't just mean more cards printed for you know a, a dust or dawn effectively printed i don't think that's what we need we need a reimagining of what this looks like in a core set that has lore behind it that has limited play to it i think that needs to happen this year and i don't know what that looks like but i think that's Alice's challenge
0: um, so my answer is, I don't know, but if I could start with something, nice. I would say with uh, with limited, I would like to see a simpler limited format, um, maybe be a limit on deck size and draft, uh, and I would like to see just a format that's easier to engage with. I think the, I think the pass format was bad in a lot of ways for new players. Um, it was complicated, it was nuanced, and it was very punishing as well. And yeah, uh, I didn't really, I loved watching all right, Lights Limited on the World Championship stage. I didn't love playing it, actually. I, I didn't have fun in most of my games, to be honest. Um, so, for me, it starts with Limited. Outside of that, if you really want a hot take to, uh, uh, to skewer me on, <laughs> I would have had the hitters be a core set and a, and a rotation. So, <laughs> it'd be the first set. <laughs> All right, last one here is from Eric Scott. They say, do you think it's possible... Uh, for FAB to have a, ca- a fun, casual multiplayer format, 1v1 it's the best game in my opinion, but casual multiplayer just isn't there.
1: Yeah, I think it's 100% possible and I I think we've talked a lot about UPF in the past and I've played a little bit of UPF. I don't think ultimately it's it hasn't felt to me like it's the answer for this question um, but it has been like I think as more heroes have been introduced it, it has changed a lot and it seems a lot more enjoyable and there's people that really enjoy upf and play a lot of upf i think if Alice has really put the time and effort into it it could be upf i think actually what's missing right now is the marketing of upf and the kind of selling it to the players more than de- more than developing product i think there's a lot of cards like printing and templating that's already been done for multiplayer i think what's actually missing is kind of the the end product it's like yeah. sorry it's more like the kind of yeah what what that looks like to players and players being able to imagine themselves actually playing this format because right now i think as a player at almost any level and for a lot of groups of players it's really hard to imagine yourself sitting in a upf table and i think that's alice's challenge right now
0: i feel like they shoved upf down our throats in 2023 actually like i felt like it was forced but that's just me um I'm,
1: but did you want to play it
0: no uh, but i my core aspect here of this question is that unfortunately i'm just not the player i'm not the person asking ask person who can answer this is like diehard commander players that play flesh and blood like what what like what's missing in flesh and blood that exists in commander that that we could maybe shore up but at the end of the day just how i just how my brain ticks i can't sit there and wait for three players to resolve their turns before i can play the game i wouldn't i cannot do it in commander i cannot do it in upf so i'm just i'm not going to play the format almost no matter what and that's i'm not saying it's issue with upf that's issue with me i just can't do it
1: I have one counter to that is that in Commander, you do have to be engaged during your opponent's turn a lot more than you have to in UPF. That is also one of my issues with it. And I think one of the issues with UPF is that it's very... Asymmetric? Yes. Yeah. Even more so than Commander and Magic. And I think that's... Like, you can't even really build to not be asymmetric. Mm. Like, in Magic, you can... In Magic, you can. Like, in Commander, right, you can be like, okay, I'm going to build this, like, counter spell deck or this deck that, like, triggers a lot of my off my opponent's, like, interactions. And there's a little bit of that in UPF, but, like, honestly, it's pretty for a majority of the heroes like it's if i get attacked i block otherwise i'd only play on my turn
0: yeah commit is actually even worse for me because there's decks that take 20 game actions and there's decks wow. that yeah. take one you're just like <laughs> sitting there you're like oh my god it takes
1: longer what am i doing here upf uh, can be pretty long though dude
0: <laughs> yeah um i don't know about upf actually so yeah I, I mean i disagree with you i actually think that they've really amped up the marketing and they I felt like they were really pushing it us on us in twenty twenty three because for me, like as a player that was absolutely not interested in the format for the reasons I stated, I was just like, "Geez, <laughs> like I don't care um, about all these things." there. It's like oh, this product, that product, but um, and all the, the new cards they did, yeah, all the new- But
1: like, where was the support? Like, where's the like the at home events or hey, come into the uh, the LGS for this big UPF celebration? I mean, like at like, the tier four events,
0: things? they do they do like really high EV prizes for the. Competitive UPF events mm-hmm. at these but that's things.
1: The wrong okay, here, here's here's the story for you. At Melbourne, at the calling of Melbourne, there's you nearly know, three hundred players playing. There's probably in excess of five hundred players in the hall. They're making a call at five past the event time that was already started, saying we need a fourth person to fire the event, the UPF event where the winner gets a gold foil legendary. Yeah. They couldn't find a fourth player to fire the event. They were calling over the intercom for two or three minutes like at different times trying to find someone (laughs) that's a failure like that is not that is not a success like that is not the way like upf is not that format and i think you know cool that they're going to do that and for the players who you know want to play that event sure but like and for you know these casual players to be able to come and compete almost like compete in a like semi-competitive way that has some really great pricing that's cool but like I mean, that's not a success story, really, is it? Three people ready to play and they can't even fire the event? Like, that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, UPF is an enigma to me, Hayden. I don't know. I don't know why it's, I don't know why people don't like it. I don't know why probably some people do like it. Um, I sort of have a hard barrier with, like, even even kind of diving more into it myself. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't know. I, know. I do think, though, that it's a huge, like, LSS is looking at that as, like, this is going to push our game. It does yeah, feel they like they do a
1: better job of it then.
0: I mean, Alice, in terms of marketing too, uh, it's just a funny little, uh, little side point. They have really amped up the marketing. I don't know if you've seen on the Twitter, like they definitely got a new graphic, uh, graphic design uh artist in house, mm-hmm. and like they're doing all these posts on social media. It's just funny that's coming three years in, but they are finally doing it.
1: And yeah, they've had stuff like, they've had like guest content on Yeah, the but Alice's now they obviously have GIF someone. And stuff like that. I don't yeah, know if you've for seen, sure. yeah. But I'd love to see a welcome to Wraith, farewell to welcome to Wraith style event with these like this kind of, you know, cool participatory pomos and things like that for like a UPF celebration. Like get people, like I would go in and try UPF. You know what I mean? Like get people in the door to try UPF, get the foot in the door, get people in to try it and then build from there. But the products there, great, you know, and they're piling on like UPF, UPF, but like actually get people in the door to play it first of all is, is, is a challenge as well. Anyway.
0: That's it. That's all the questions that's Twitter and discord. Um, just want to say thank you to everybody who did submit a question. I really appreciate it. We had some great ones this time. We definitely went over our recording time, but that's usually how these go.
1: No, nothing else to say. I think you can just uh take us out again. Thank you for the questions. And uh if you do want to get questions in for the commander cookout, our weekly kind of question segment, you can do so. Arsenalpassfabgmail.com. Drop them in the YouTube comments below. I think we got a great question from YouTube this past week, which we'll definitely uh make sure to to get. We'll we'll re-sort of hash together the the previous two pods uh, in our command and cookout section next week, Brendan.
0: Yep. YouTube version, video version of this at youtube.com slash arsenalpass. Twitter is fan underscore Dale Brendan A P G and Big shout out to all the Arsenal past patrons. You help us do what we do, and that's why we're clocking in. I mean, I, I think we're close to like three years here, which is pretty crazy. It's been a long time, Hayden. But thank you all. all so, yeah, thank you all so much again. We'll see you in the ep- the next episode.